player a lot in sports. I could argue that you hear it a little bit too often from coaches, other players, their fans. So-and-so is a team player. Now, that's really a team player. To the point that it really doesn't mean much, assuming you even allow it to resonate or process it. What's that mean, a team player? Of course he's a team player. It's a team sport. He's a player on a team. Therefore, he is a team player. Not much to it, right? Well, I'm here to admit to you on this Friday morning that I'm guilty of having ignored such a description of one member of the Steelers, and I'm going to correct that today. Good morning to you, by the way. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this, the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. This segment of Daily Shot is going to be brought to you by, from now until Christmas, I'm really happy to announce this today, downtown businesses, just randomly downtown businesses. I'm born literally downtown, apartment on Stanwyck Street, and I live here, I shop here, I eat here, I do everything here. I believe in our downtown. I hate what the pandemic has done to the whole planet. I also hate what it's done to downtown and what it's doing to people who are working hard. So what we're going to do here from now until Christmas is this show will offer free advertising to a downtown business in this opening segment the rest of the way. No catch, no nothing, not looking for anything back, just looking for our little way of helping here. And we're going to start in a great spot, one of my favorite spots and one of my kids' favorite spots, Wiener World on Smithfield Street. And yes, if you have to ask that, yes, Wiener World is still there. Wiener World is still open. Our man Denny is still running. A tough business. It's tough right now, he'll admit to you. But they are still the home of the cheese dog and the famous one-pound fish sandwich. And they've got so much more to the menu. People think of the place just for the hot dogs and just for the ice cream window out front. But they've got sandwiches, soups, salads, wraps, made to order, too. Good stuff. Not just some fast food junkie thing. They make good food there. They're proud of it. This is the same Wiener World you've heard about. It's been serving Pittsburgh residents since 1965. It is a downtown institution. We are proud to be helping out Wiener World. We hope you do the same thing. I am not nearly as proud of having ignored Mike Tomlin repeatedly referring in a conspicuous way, or at least what should have been a conspicuous way if I'd been paying attention, to Vance McDonald as a team player. What's that mean, team player? Well, Vance McDonald, like nice guy, tries hard, whatever, right? You don't think that much of it. One of the problems with reporters not being in locker rooms, you're not able to see guys, to talk to them, to have casual conversations, off-the-record conversations. We're also 
not able to see them out of uniform, to see them walking around like in a T-shirt or whatever where you can say, hey, that dude's looking a little bit different maybe than he has in the past. Well, guess what? Yesterday, Randy Feetner, the offensive coordinator, did his weekly session with reporters and mentioned that Vance has gained, I'm underscoring here, gained 10 pounds since last season. No, no, no. Just in the past handful of months. Now, usually you hear the reverse. You hear that so-and-so has really slimmed down, reduced their body fat, gotten themselves into warp speed shape so they can uh, add some acceleration or agility to their game. Vance added 10 pounds. Why did he do that? Well, it turns out, based on this call with the offensive coordinator, in addition to an earlier call in the day with Vance himself, it was the ultimate selfless move, the ultimate thing a team player would do. Vance McDonald knew that when the Steelers signed Eric Ebron, as a second tight end. Yeah, they could have some packages out there that would be two tights, and, and they've used that at times. Not just goal line sets. They've they've used it at times, uh, most notably, and I, I would add effectively, in that four-minute offense, as they've been calling it, when they've been eating clock up at the end with effective running and winning games. But they also were going to need to split time and split duties. So Vance McDonald, who's a pretty decent pass-catching tight end, he's athletic, looked across at Ebron and thought to himself, that guy's a better pass-catcher than I am. However, I'm a better blocker than that guy is. And the Steelers were aware of that too. And as they discussed these things together, Vance says, look, I'm going to make myself into being the best blocking tight end that I can be. So he and the coaching staff and everybody agree that he's going to put on some weight. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to get completely written out of the offense. We saw that in the win over the Texans. He was involved. Uh, One of those completions that came his way was a good 15 yards downfield, as memory serves. He's still going to be there, but he's not going to get the stats. He's not going to get the the glory. He's not going to have the the grand moment that he had in Tampa at Raymond James Stadium when he murdered that poor dude with the stiff arm coming down the left sideline. And, you know, if, if you're a tight end, that, that takes swallowing something. Um Heath Miller was a great blocking tight end, but we wouldn't know, probably wouldn't even care all that much who Heath was if he wasn't also catching passes. It's part of what tight ends do. It's the sexy part of the job. But Vance took one here. Vance Vance is a guy who is close to Ben Roethlisberger in more ways than one. Uh, One, they're legitimately good friends, but two... Over on the south side, I know this from back when we were allowed in locker rooms, 
They're right next to each other. That's not an accident. Uh, ben is not the type that's going to stay quiet if there's somebody near him that he doesn't particularly care for. And that's that. That's something, I think, that relationship that would have contributed to this. Vance has spoken very passionately more than once already during this season about seeing that hunger, that passion in Ben's eyes and wanting to help Ben get across the finish line, so to speak, and winning another Super Bowl, winning his first Super Bowl, meaning McDonald's. And he looked at the broader scenario and said, here's what makes sense. So when Mike Tomlin was talking about Vance McDonald being a team player, it wasn't necessarily super clear what he was referencing. And when Randy Feetner was throwing similar hints and Ben Roethlisberger was throwing similar hints, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't skywritten, if you will. But this is this is what it's about. This is what it's about. You know, if reporters are in locker rooms, since I referenced that already, maybe we'd have a not maybe we definitely have a better sense for it. Now you see so and so walking around in a tight T-shirt, and you go, "Hey, you know, did you put on some weight there? What is that? You lose a little bit of weight? You notice these types of things." As things are right now, you know, we see parts of practice where they come out, they've already got all their pads on and everything else. They don't look all that different. So this is something that had to kind of come out the way it did. And here, just just listen to this for yourself. Here's some of what, what Vance had to say in his call with us yesterday. I consider myself just like a soldier, and I'll just, I'm going to do whatever the coaches ask me to do. Um, you know, I, I told Eric point blank, like, dude, I would rather block all game and catch one ball. Uh, and that's the absolute truth. Um, you know, I love, not to say that it's just like, it's my little project, but I, I absolutely love investing in, my time into Eric, um, you know, just from the background and the, the four years I've been here of experience in the scheme and just tell him all the nuances I've learned over the years and to just offer it to him to see how he wants to take it, uh, whether he wants to use it, apply it or not. But I just like, I live through Eric's success in the passing game. And if that's all that it ever is, then that like, I'm as happy as I'll ever be. Um, you know, again, you know, last week we had a, a, a good sharing of, um, opportunities between Eric and myself in the passing game. Um, and those came down to just situational moments when, uh, you know, I was the, I was the read, I was the target, um, or I was the only guy that was open. And so, uh, again, the potential I know of what we have for our room, it's always going to be there. Um, at the same time too, like I said, I find satisfaction and joy and happiness in carrying out the responsibility that's laid in front of me that week. Obviously, with the acquisition of Eric, I'm not an idiot. Um, Eric is a better pass-catching tight end and threat than I am. And so I recognize that. I don't bury my head in the sand um, because of that fact. Like, I'm not going to walk around with some false amount of pride and ego. Uh, and so with all that, I love watching Eric succeed. Um, and I, I, will, I will bend over backwards to make sure that that happens every single week. The Steelers have played three games. They've won all three of them. I've tried... Very hard not to get overboard about projecting where this team might be headed. Although, you know, you don't need me. 
<laughs> to look and see all the talent that's out there. When you start getting deeper and deeper into the process, you're looking past just talent and depth and so forth and looking for things like this, uh, chemistry things, sacrifice things, the kind of things that make for teams that do really, really well in playoffs, maybe even achieve the ultimate. This is good stuff. This is good stuff. There's a lot of negative stuff that goes on uh, in football, in sports, in the world. That I, I think stuff like this is worth underscoring and appreciating. When we come back, NHL free agency opens today. Open market opens up for business. Today at noon, all 31 teams going after all the hundreds of players that are available as UFAs. The Penguins, I think they're going to get involved. I don't think it will be on the first day. This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by Larry Kelly and all the rest of the good people at Luxembourg Garbit Kelly and George, a personal injury law firm that represents people who get hurt in car accidents, people who need help with workers' comp, people who have medical malpractice claims. Larry and everyone at LGKG pride themselves in doing what they say they're going to do. It's important to them that when they make you a promise, they keep that promise. This law firm has been keeping promises for over 80 years. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, and Elwood City. You can learn more about them online at lgkg.com. Easy enough to remember, lgkg.com, or by calling them at 888-842-5454. Jim Rutherford has stated openly, that he doesn't expect the Penguins to be a player for free agents. He then, after the Matt Murray trade, when he finally opened up some salary cap space, amended that to say he doesn't expect the Penguins to be a player for free agents on the first day or for the big, big names that are out there. I'm here to tell you, as much as I love and trust the guy, he has not always called this one accurately. I'm trying to find a nice way to say it. Um, he's gone aggressively after who he wants, regardless of what day of free agency it is. And yeah, I'm thinking about Brandon Tanev. Tanev, uh, of course, getting the the six-year deal that raised a lot of eyebrows around the league right up until they saw the impact that Tanev was having on the ice for the Penguins, which, by the way, was the same impact he was having in Winnipeg as anybody could have just found out for themselves. He went after him. He went after Tanev. That's how Jim operates. He finds a target, fixes on it, fixes on it harder, and then 
goes after it and gets it. And if that means that he will occasionally overpay or occasionally make a mistake, in his mind, he can live with it because he got something that he felt the Penguins needed. Usually when Jim has been in that position, and not coincidentally, it has aligned with a highly specific need. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm looking at this roster right now. I'm seeing a top six, meaning the forwards, of course, that's completely set. I'm seeing a defense core that could still use a right shot, but not at all costs. Not that uh, it would be something that would move you to get drastic about it. They do have players who could slide over to the right side, even for part of the season. And by the way, that's another aspect of the approach that Rutherford has always taken. If he starts the season with, let's say, Yuso Rikola or Mike Matheson sliding across to the right side on the third pairing, he's not going to sweat it because if it doesn't work out, he knows that he can still go get himself a right shot defenseman at some point along the way, even up to it, including the following trade deadline. It doesn't have to happen now. The season doesn't have to start that way. So you got your top six. You got your defense. You got wingers. You got all kinds of wingers. You got wingers, bottom six wingers all over the place. And you've got, depending on how you choose to label the Bluger, Aston Reese, Tanev line, you've got either a third or fourth line center in Teddy Bluger. What's missing here is is obvious. You need another bottom six center. That player isn't on this roster unless it's Jared McCann. Maybe it is Jared McCann. Maybe, and I know from talking to Jim personally, he believes in McCann's ability to play down the middle. Maybe Mike Sullivan is also on board with that. Maybe everyone is. And maybe, because it wouldn't be the first time, I'm wrong. But I don't see it. I respect these gentlemen and the way they make their decisions. They know infinitely more about everything related to hockey than I ever could or will. But when I see Jared McCann down the middle, I see a player who is headless chicken to the extreme. And I really, really like this kid. I, don't, I take no joy in criticizing any aspect of him. Can't win faceoffs. Doesn't really have much defensive awareness. Doesn't have playmaking skills to speak of. Has a pretty good shot for a guy who didn't have any goals in his last 25 games between the regular season and the playoffs. That's actually the one thing that I wouldn't worry about with McCann. But I just look at him and I think to myself, anytime I ever see him at center, just get him to the wing. Just get him to the wing. And you know what? He ends up on the wing. In one form or other, he ends up on the wing. And that's where I think this will head. So if I'm 
Jim Rutherford, and I'm looking for anything at all in free agency, whether it's a TANF type where he can give a player a longer term, even an uncomfortably longer term at a lower price so that he can fit him into the current salary cap. I'd be looking for this type of player. I would. This this is this is what I'd be looking at. Either right shot defenseman or a bottom six type center. You can get a bottom six type center. I'm trying to think of a way to describe this for you. Riley Sheehan. How about that? Does that work for you? A Riley Sheehan type who can kind of do things at both ends, end up with about eight, nine, ten goals on the year. Uh win draws, kill penalties, take care of his own end. Another Bluger. Another Bluger, basically. That would also work. If there were one currently in the system, it would be so much the better. But there is not. There's no one like that in Wilkes-Barre or on the other way up. Will he, though? Will he do it through free agency? I don't know. I think he's got to have to find a real bargain type of player to pull that off. With the two-year signing yesterday of Sam Lafferty, the Penguins' cap room was reduced to roughly $3 million, a little bit more than that, but the number doesn't need to be precise at that point. Rutherford has said many, many times that he prefers to have some kind of headroom there. Uh, he doesn't want to get caught into a situation. Do you remember a few years ago whenever they were only dressing uh, five defensemen because they couldn't manage the salary cap properly? I don't think he ever wants that to happen again. He also wants to make sure that he leaves cap room so that he could make another deal down the road deeper into a regular season. So... I'd be surprised if you see a move that would be, let's say, you know, five years for for two or two and a half million per to somebody just to kind of spread the cap out and yet guarantee them some money. If he finds a steal somewhere, and again, I'm almost entirely lasered in on money here when I say steal or bargain then he could do it. He might even do it on the first day, but I don't think so. I, I think you're going to see him be patient, watch how it plays out a little bit, and if he has to, wait into the season. Neither of the needs, neither of the two needs that I cited are dire. And if you're wondering why I haven't mentioned goaltending, it's because Rutherford sent a pretty strong hint after the Murray trade that while he will get a third goaltender, he sure made it sound like it would be a literal third goaltender, meaning an emergency goaltender. I think they want to have Casey DeSmith up as Tristan Jari's backup this coming season. Again, at least at the outset, at least to see how it goes. Remember that DeSmith also operates on an NHL-only contract that pays seven figures. He made that last year in Wilkes-Barre, and I don't think that's something they want to when we come back, a kind of off-the-board baseball topic.
baseball. A few days ago, I got an email from the Baseball Writers Association of America asking all of us who are members to partake in an unusual vote regarding the future of the MVP awards that our association chooses each fall. It was asking whether or not we should continue to use the name of Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis in association with the MVP awards as we have in the past. Anyone who doesn't know, Landis was Major League Baseball's first commissioner, and he was in place from 1920 to 1944, he was installed as a, a federal jurist who was basically charged with making sure that the Black Sox scandal of 1919 would never occur again. This portion of Daily Shot is always brought to you by our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. Their ongoing drive is called growsharethrive.org three words just spell them just like that growsharethrive.org they're looking to expand their processes their deliveries their facilities in our region every ten dollars that you put into this drive is matched by five dollars from other donors. That's just how it works. GrowShareThrive.org So, I had read previously about Landis's history, just as I've read about a ton of baseball history. Most of what you've ever heard, seen, or read about him was related to the Black Sox, so he came across as this you know, really great authoritarian figure who did do what he was primarily charged with doing, which was to knock off the bribery and gambling scandals right out of the game. But there was more to his background, uh, understanding to an extent that it's a different time, different behaviors, Different things are acceptable in different eras in all walks of life. He also was documented to have expressed racist things. And way more powerfully than that, during the entirety of his tenure, 1920 to 1944, to repeat, black players were not allowed in the majors. They, of course, had their own Negro Leagues. Everything was kept separate. It was not an accident that it took three years after Landis's tenure, which, by the way, ended with his death in 1944, that Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in 1947 with the Brooklyn Dodgers, joined later that year by Larry Doby with the Cleveland Indians. Those players had wanted to be in the majors before that. 
lots of players in the Negro Leagues wanted to be in the majors before that. It's difficult to trace in Landis's history that he was the singular reason that they were kept out, but at the same time, as with the commissioner of any sport in any era, the buck stops there and they are allowed to show leadership in vital situations. Landis very clearly didn't do any such thing. Long story short, I I voted to not have his name associated with it. The vote ended up passing by a really, really high margin. I believe it was 83% of us voted to eliminate his name which leaves the association in the position of either coming up with a new name to attach to it or to just generically refer to it as the BBWAA MVP award. That's also on the table. That's been pushed off for another year for things to kind of just settle down so not everything happens just reactively. And I, I think that was a really smart move by Paul Sullivan, who covers the Cubs, does a great job of it, by the way, for the Chicago Tribune. He's the association's current president. So we'll wait a year to get to that. In the interim, names are going to come up. And one of them already has. I got a message from the grandson of Josh Gibson. And I, I lit up as soon as I saw this. Uh, first of all, because I always enjoy hearing from Sean, but specifically, it was just, it was one of those moments where you just go, oh, wow, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. There isn't any historian of the Negro Leagues, including my friend Bob Kendrick, who is the curator of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City, with whom I am in constant communication, who, those of you who have been reading, DK Pittsburgh Sports, since the beginning, will recall, took us all on a great video tour of the facility. Bob knows everything. Bob will not hesitate to say that Josh Gibson was the greatest of them, the greatest of all of the Negro Leagues players. So there's some symmetry there. That, that you know, if you if you called it the Josh Gibson Award, you finally have a way to incorporate the truly greatest player, the true MVP of a league of players who weren't allowed to participate in the majors for the wrongest of wrongest reasons. I, I'm not sitting here advocating for it on the third segment of a podcast. I, I want to give this more careful thought. I want to put some more logic and some more uh, research and background and muscle into it if I end up believing in it wholeheartedly. But I got to tell you, where I'm sitting here right now, it sure sounds good. It really does. I want to thank you for listening to this show and to listening to all of the shows that we do uh, Monday through Friday. We've got weekend fare for you as well. Uh, Noah Hiles of our staff Every Saturday produces a wonderful podcast called Memory Lane where he finds a star from Pittsburgh sports.
his past and does an extensive, relaxed conversation with him. Uh, he's had some big names on uh, to date, and he's got he's got more good ones lined up. Trust me, I've seen the list. Thank you again. front door, your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.